Good evening. It's good to be back home. Well, <laughs> I, um, I was wondering if you all would have me back. First of all, you had a bishop on the first Sunday I was gone, and I shared with you. Then you had this itinerant Baptist preacher the second Sunday. <laughs> so both of them made it very hard to come back. And so uh, thank you, uh, Michael, and thank you, Papa um, Lawrence, for covering for me while I was away. I had a wonderful time in Jamaica. And so if, if my Jamaican accent slips out every now and then, it's because I've been around a bunch of Jamaicans saying, hey, man, what do you say? <laughs> so uh, will you pray with me? <clears throat> Happy and blessed uh, 2024 to all of you here and those who are worshiping with us in Zoom. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you are doing in our life and the plans that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It's been a long while, probably for as far back as high school or maybe um, my college days at Loyola University since I read the poem, To a Mouse by Robert Burns. Any of you have ever read that poem, To a Mouse by Robert Burns? Um, still, in preparation for this message, I looked at it again. And one takeaway or meaning of the poem is that no matter how carefully a project is planned, something will always go wrong with it. Another way of putting it would be to say that the best laid plans nevertheless go awry when putting them into practice. Unexpected difficulties arise, or, or the proverbial spanner or wrench, as they call it in Jamaica. In America, they would call it a hiccup that will be thrown into the plan and sometimes causing the plan to go totally off chart. It could be something internal, it could be something external. And thus the saying, if you've heard this saying, the best made plans of what? Mouse and men. The poem's full title is in fact, to a mouse on turning her up in her nest with the plow. November 1785. The full title of the poem really explains what the poem is all about, and it probably is really based on an actual event when Burns accidentally destroyed a mouse's nest while plowing in a field. The relevant stanza of the poem is toward the end, and here it is right here. But mousy, thou art not thy lane. Improving foresight may be vain, but best laid schemes, O mice and men, gang aft edgely, naught but grief and pain for promised joy. What the poem suggests is that mice and men often find that meddler that torts their plan, that meddler that's called fate. And the poem goes on, continuing to address the poor mouse he made homeless. Still thou art blessed compared we me. The present only toucheth thee. 
O prospect dear and forward thou I cannot see, I see and fear. And what the poet is saying is that humans, you and I can remember the past schemes that also went awry. And because you and I have memory, we humans, we store up a lifetime of perspective drear and towards hope. Not only that, but humans can fret, humans can fear that the same thing that happened last time will happen again to whatever plans and whatever dreams we nurture or entertain the next time. So the poet concludes, of the best laid schemes of mice and men, those of men are worse. Like the poem, the scripture lesson that Lisa read for us today in 2 Samuel has some humor in it. You might have caught it. David is the newly appointed king of Israel. He has recently made Jerusalem the capital. The nation's enemies have been defeated and the Ark of the Covenant is in the city. And David is comfortably settled in his new palace. Then David gets this idea. You can almost see the cartoon light bulb go off in his head when David said, ah, I should build a house for God. What's funny to me is the response of the Almighty, which this is just a paraphrase, and it goes something like that. David, do you think that the creator of the universe, do you think that the sustainer of the universe needs some human-built, rinky-dink house? So God says, I, I got this, I'm good. <laughs> in essence, in, verse, in, in these verses, David is instructed really to forget about building a house for God because God was in preparation to build a house for David, silly as David's plan seem. You and I can relate to this, this standard human intuition and probably recount instances where we have had this instinct. Ah, I want to do something grand. I want to make impressive plans. I want to leave my mark on this earth. I want to write the script for my future. And so here we are in January of a new year. And January is usually time when we do our planning, when we sit in front of our vision boards, our calendars, our spreadsheets, plugging in the plans and the projects and the programs, and we're envisioning everything that we will accomplish if everything works out. Because this is the year when all of the stars will align and things will fall in place and everything will come together. <laughs> That's what I envision David doing. And that's what I envision going on in David's mind as he comes up with this, this grand plan to build God a house. But the Almighty's response to this eager, maybe even naive king got me thinking about plans, my plans. 
your plans. If, if I was in a black church, they'd say, now you meddling talking about my plans, Pastor. You're not preaching anymore. You meddling. But even, even what scripture suggests to be the plans of God. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, one of my life verses, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Okay, just humor me for a minute and turn to somebody next to you and smile at them. Show them all the teeth you have, whether God gave them to you or you bought them. And just say, God has plans for you. Tell them God has plans for you. God has plans for you. And if that person didn't believe it, turn and talk to somebody else and tell them God has plans for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. January, we usually make resolutions. We make plans for the upcoming year. So as we consider the plans that we have for this year, I want to invite you to consider a few things that scripture suggests about God's plan. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't have plans because you either plan to fail when you play, fail to plan. So I, I'm not suggesting that you don't have plans. And even worse, I'm not even suggesting that you leave all the planning up to God. I'm not suggesting that even. All the planning up to God. Instead, in light of the scripture, what I'm suggesting is that scripture says that God's plans are complete. Scripture says that God's plans are specific. So what I want to invite you to consider today for the few minutes that I have in front of you is aligning your plans with what you understand God's plans to be for your life and for this year. Amen. Are God's plans almighty? Are God's plans complete and, and confident and possibly even better than our plans? For most of 2019, I was excited about the March 2020 trip I had planned, booked, and paid for to New Zealand. New Zealand is a destination I've always wanted to visit. Imagine the authentic tour of New Zealand, a journey that includes Auckland, a diverse city surrounded by dormant volcanoes and caves and, and lost treasures and wine tasting <laughs> at the top of the world. And one tour guide describes it as a delicious banquet of mountain peaks, rainforests, rich farmlands and electric towns where the mist of time meets the exuberant presence. But like many of you, I quickly realized that my plans weren't complete. You know why? I hadn't factored in a global pandemic. Probably because I can only prepare for what I can imagine, which suggests to me that my plans will always be incomplete. David imagined that the Almighty as, as a bigger version of who he was. And so God must need and want a place to stay. I can't stay in this palace all by myself and let the Ark of the Covenant stay out there. By I must be the one to build a house for God. 
And this is going to sound a little judgmental, so forgive me. But I often wonder about our modern-day megachurch pastors, if they've taken the approach of building a house for God with some of these gigantic sanctuaries and campuses on acres of land. When I lived in North Scottsdale, Arizona, there was a church there that had a bowling alley. They have all of the amenities of an all-inclusive resort. And I suppose if I would ask some of the megachurch leaders, and some of them would probably say, Kenneth, you're just hating. But I'm not. <laughs> they would say, they would say they, they built it for God. But knowing my ego, I would question whether it's for God or for me. God responds to David, your plans are incomplete. David said, I will, and I have. And notice what God does in the text. God replies with a couple of I haves and I wills of God's own. I have brought you out of the pasture. I have been with you. I have cut off your enemies. I will make you a great name. I will appoint a place for your people. I will plant them in their place. I have and I will. That's what God said to David. And while David planned a house for God, God was planning salvation for David. David's plans were limited. God's plan seemed to be complete. God's plan seemed to be comprehensive, leaving nothing out, including the salvation of the people. And that got me to thinking about the difference between how we plan and how scripture says that God plans. We plan calendars, God plans galaxies. We plan timelines, God plans lifetimes. We plan appointments, God plans seasons. We plan long-term strategies, but God plans from the Alpha to the Omega. We plan our to-do list, but God plans to overthrow evil, to overthrow death, to overthrow our hatred and poverty and injustice and violence and human trafficking and homophobia. We plan, but not the way God plans. Have you ever felt that you need to remember something? You don't quite know what it is that you're forgetting, but you know that it's essential. And scripture suggests that God never forgets. God never overlooks. God never gets distracted. Another thing that scripture seems to suggest is that God's plan are never too small. God's plans are never too narrow or too self-interested. According to scripture, the almighty plans are purposeful. The almighty plans are powerful. The almighty plans are whole and holy. How we plan and how God plans. The plans of the almighty are complete because, according to scripture, with God there is no such thing. That's an impossible plan. With God, there's no such thing as a maybe plan. With God, there's no such thing as an if we get lucky plan. But according to scripture, the word of the Almighty is an accomplishing word. 
which suggests to me that there is nothing in our life or the groaning of this world that is exempt from, outside of, or has escaped the redemptive power of God. Preach, Kenneth. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Secondly, Scripture suggests that God's plans are specific. God's plans are specific. I went to the bank to open a, an account before leaving for vacation, and no bankers were available. But the teller said to me, they said, Kenneth, you can make an appointment if you are willing to come back. And what did I do? I made an appointment so I would have the option, even if I couldn't go back, I knew I had an appointment. And that's how you and I plan sometimes because there is a good chance that something will happen to keep us from finishing what we started. Even something might happen to keep us from keeping that appointment. Sometimes we even hope the plans we made earlier will fall through. But notice what scripture says about God. God isn't like that. The almighty plans are specific. In addition to everything God says to David in this passage, David is promised something that is absolutely amazing. David is promised something for his household, that his name would be established forever. David must have imagined after his uh, little mishap with Bathsheba, <laughs> David must have imagined that God had forgotten all about that promise. David's line seemed to end in occupation and exile, probably leaving David feeling that God had failed to keep God's promise. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God did not keep that promise that God made to you? The thing we felt for sure would happen crumbled. This was different. How could this happen? This, this, this wasn't the way. My career was supposed to go. This wasn't the way my marriage was supposed to go. This wasn't the way my ministry was supposed to go. This wasn't the way my business was supposed to go. This wasn't the way this physical exam was supposed to go. Have you ever felt like God did not keep God's promise? We're acutely aware of these heartbreaks in our life. And I say that we often live between the gap of God's promise and the final fulfillment of God's promise. God said this, but I'm waiting right here for this to happen. And my people who ask me, what do I do right here when there's this and this? I say, that's the place of faith. That's a place of trustworthiness in those difficult times when we can't even see it. You see, from one vantage point, it may have appeared that God's promise to build David a house and a legacy had fell through. God's promises were 
too good for David to grasp. And so David felt like the plan had been forfeited. But when you end the Old Testament in that book of Micah, and then you go to that first chapter of the New Testament in Matthew, we're confronted with something that reveals that God kept God's promises in the genealogy of Jesus. As Matthew opens his gospel, he starts by establishing that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised Davidic king, the promised one who would undo the curse of sin. So Matthew first outlines Jesus's genealogy. And if you trace Jesus's genealogy, there's some messed up folks. I'm for real. There's some messed up folks in Jesus's genealogy. So there's hope for you and me. <laughs> there's some really, there's some people you look, you look and say, you need some help. I think you should see somebody <laughs> in Jesus's genealogy. And Matthew arranges a selection of Jesus's ancestors into a list of three sets of 14 people. Three are genera their generations of 14 generations between Abraham and David. And several other 14 generations that go on. And in the middle of that, in the middle of Jesus's genealogy, David's in there. David's imagination was too small. Sometimes like you and me, our imaginations are too small about the plans. I, I was talking to, and you know, I got three daughters, so you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm into woman power. So <laughs> I was talking to a young lady once and, and she was telling me about her plans to go to in the medical profession. And she said, you know, I wanna be a nurse. I said, why don't you become a doctor? Why you gotta stop there? Why you gotta stop there? Her dream was here. I said, why don't you just lift it up a little bit higher? David's imagination was too small. And sometimes ours are the same. When compared to God's plans, ours are tiny, ours are timid. And we can admit that sometimes. We can, we can confess that God's dreams sometimes are bigger than the dreams we have. Oh, oh, God, if you just bless me with $100. God is saying, I wish you had prayed for more because I was ready to bless you with some more. <laughs> I just want a loaf. I just want a slice of bread. God is saying, I want to give you the whole loaf. I just want my foot in the door. God said, I'm seeing you as the CEO or CFO. My plans. God's plans. Sometimes we walk through life fixated on our agendas. Sometimes we walk through life fixated on our priorities and we're totally unaware that glory <laughs> It's just above our head. And sometimes the disarray of our plans distract us from the complete and specific promise that God wants to speak 
into our existence. Today, I'm closing with this. I want to invite you to have eyes like those shepherds in the Matthew account of the birth of Jesus. Eyes to look past the darkness and to see the light. Today, I want you to invite you to align your plans with God's plans. And if God's plans are up here, got plans for you. Let's pray. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope. Plans to give you a future. Help each of us gathered here today and those who are worshiping with us via Zoom to align our plans with your plans to see the full potential of our possibility. 